Hey there, confessors. This is the Supreme Hierophant of the Alchemical Actors, Dr. Robert C. Thompson, bringing you a little blast from the past today. We're going to call up the very first episode uh, that we've ever posted on Patreon. This is our Devil's Music series. This is just the first part of that series, uh, and we're making it available on the main channel for a few reasons. First and foremost, because we are hoping uh, to up our Patreon game with new content over there as we move into the holiday season. Uh, but in order to do that, we'd like to get a few more people over there. Um, so this is to tempt you, if you have not signed on to Patreon yet, to consider doing so, so that you can hear the rest of this, uh, I think, very groovy series. Second, uh, coming in December, I am going to be uh, hosting my second Strange Ride episode where I will be doing a deep dive on Starship's song, We Built This City, uh, on rock and roll. Called by Rolling Stone the worst song of the 1980s, and, and by other critics, the worst song of all time, or at least the worst rock song of all time. Uh, so this is, is uh, my way of trying to get you into uh, that subject matter as well. I'm very interested in talking rock music uh, from the uh, Thanksgiving season through the Christmas season. Uh, so after we uh, post this episode in a couple weeks, we will be coming back with this. Uh, we have an interview special coming for you as well as a panel special um, and then we'll be moving into our new series. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy episode one on the devil's music. Robert Johnson is one of the most significant contributors to modern American music, even though he only recorded 29 songs. He was one of a long string of popular musicians to die at the age of 27. Other members of the 27 Club went on to include Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, and Amy Winehouse. Johnson was, arguably, the originator not only of the 27 Club, but much of the popular music that came after him. He was born on May the 8th, 1911, in Hazelhurst, Mississippi. In Mississippi, blues musicians played for sharecroppers, often as a means to avoid becoming sharecroppers themselves. But the real money was in traveling from city to city, playing for audiences across the state. Life on the road in the Deep South was dangerous. Lynchings were common on the Mississippi Delta. And the blues, the secular music played at juke joints, was painted as the devil's music from the pulpits of churches across the state every Sunday. In February 1929, Johnson married 16-year-old Virginia Travis. Virginia's family were very religious, and Johnson made a pledge to her to give up music and become a sharecropper. Virginia got pregnant, and eight and a half months later, set out to give birth at her grandmother's place. Johnson stayed behind, with a promise to join her a couple of weeks later, as the due date approached. While Virginia was away, Johnson picked up the guitar again. Before he could make the trip to meet Virginia and see his first-born child into the world, he got word that both mother and child had died. Virginia's family blamed Robert Johnson, claiming that her death in childbirth was God's punishment for Johnson having sold his soul to the devil to play his secular music. The blues musician Sun House, who toured with Willie Brown, remembered Johnson, who he called Little Robert, hanging around the juke joints where they played gigs. Little Robert, said House, was a pretty good harmonica player, but pretty awful at the guitar. 
When the musicians would put their guitars down for a break, Robert would pick them up and try to play, and folks would get kind of annoyed and grab the guitar away from him, worried that he might break one of the strings. A year later, Sunhouse and Brown were playing at a juke joint in Banks, Mississippi, when Johnson came in, carrying a guitar. They hadn't heard or seen him that whole year long. He asked if they'd let him play a song or two. Remembering how bad he'd been, they were reluctant, but decided, what the heck, they'd give him a shot. What's the worst that could happen? He strung a seventh string to his six-string guitar, something Sunhouse had never seen before, and his playing was, by all accounts, incredible. He'd gone from being mediocre at best to a virtuoso, virtually overnight. How had Johnson gotten so good, so fast? Stories spread that he'd gone to the crossroads where he'd handed the devil his guitar. The devil tuned the guitar and offered the instrument back to Johnson, saying, Once you take this guitar back, your soul is mine. According to legend, Johnson took the guitar. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors. Joining me today for our Patreon special, the first in our series on the devil's music, is our Grandmaster Olivia Literal. Hello. What's up? Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have anything ready. You were not awkward. prepared for I that question. Gonna, I didn't think you were going to ask Keller. You thought there was, there's not going to be any follow-up? This is Patreon. You need to bring your A-game. Patreon. Yep, like that. <laughs> Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Hello, I'm here. Yay, Patreon. You have anything weird to say, Savannah? Oh, God, I could think of something, but I don't think you want to hear it. A-game. Oh, <laughs> I don't have one yet. Wait, I'll come back. All right. James Kaplan, just captain of the table. Hello, Rob. I liked your story. Thanks, James. What yeah. did you like about it? I liked that it had to do with music. I think music's interesting. And Robert Johnson is someone I am sort of familiar with. Why is that? Because he's a blues musician, and my father raised me to like the blues. See, James is bringing his A-game. This is what I'm talking about. That was a lovely childhood story we just heard. Why did it sound so incredibly sarcastic? That's just me, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> and... and and our silver-tongued shadow, Brandon Walls. Hello. Brandon is not uh, usually on the mic, but this is Patreon. What the heck? Yeah, what the heck? And no also, rules. No rules. I also just found out what episode we're doing, too. We're like just talking about the 27 Club, and I'm as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm in. I'm so game. You're in the 27 Club? Don't do that. Oh, no, Brandon, no. 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 no, no, not that. Not yet. A game. All right, so... <laughs> This is a called Confessions. We, we the, the members, members of the secret, secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Our first bonus series for our super secret occult confessions patrons is going to focus on, like I said, 
the devil's music. Like many of our listeners, I was raised by parents who grew up in the golden age of rock and roll in the 1960s and 70s, and so I am steeped in the legends of the early rockers. Dad never liked Elvis much, but we were a big Beatles house. How about you guys? Oh, you were Elvis people? Well, over over the Beatles. How about you were like Johnny Cash people, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. My family actually owned a home phone that was Elvis in a pose on a stage that you would pick up and the, the phone part was Elvis. And you I thought would you were going to say it was his penis. <laughs> no. Well, that was a part of it. What was the guitar? Was he carrying? No, a he was not carrying guitars. Hands free, making up like a. If pose I had to make that phone, the guitar would probably be the phone, and the receiver would be his penis. Where? Yeah, where well, did you talk into? You talking to his leg, <laughs> and the voices came out of his face. Oh, well, that's kind of appropriate. That's lovely. What were you talking about? Uh, oh, Savannah, how were you? Yeah, did you grow up in a rock house? I grew up on a Jimmy Buffett house. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Bless America. Uh, I did get a little Johnny Cash, though. That's like, well, that's better. That's Cash. more respectable. Brandon? Uh, not really like Jimi Hendrix, but I grew up in more like Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, yes. We're going to be doing Led Zeppelin next episode. Very nice. The Rolling Stones, David Bowie, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin. All of these folks are implicated in one way or another in some conflict with organized religion and or actual occultism. The classics. Now, uh, fairly mainstream representations of Western culture, all these artists, when they first hit the scene, uh, were very controversial, particularly to the Christian right, who felt that they were purveyors of the devil's music. In what will be a three-part series, we are about to uncover the tangled connections between the devil and popular music, beginning today with Satan's relationship with the guitar and the church's antipathy for the pioneers of rock and roll, like Johnny Cash. Can we really consider Johnny Cash to be rock and roll, though? Yes. Yes. But, he fell into that burning ring of fire. But that... The devil. Like, that doesn't... I don't know. I would. I feel like he's more country. He's both. He we can share like him. early. It's like back when it was like rock and roll was like very gospel-y, too, still. So it was like... Okay. More yeah, like yeah, bluesy. It's like, true, because Elvis got his sound in part from the church. Yeah. He stole... like. He ripped way off of like hymns, like which a lot of people are mad about. Well, he went to the black. Ch- we're going to talk all about it. Yeah. Let's not. We're, we're, what are we doing? We're preempting ourselves. Oh. Teaser. Uh, so we'll do that today, though. In our next episode, we're going to tackle Alistair Crowley. Crowley. And his connection to British rockers. Then we'll come back to America for a look at rock's ties to voodoo culture and conclude with a close look at Satanist filmmaker Kenneth Anger who famously involved uh, their satanic majesties, the Rolling Stones, in his filmmaking. Also, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin fame, Brandon. Nice. There you go, the Zepp. For each episode, we'll be creating a playlist of songs that we're going to post up for you to enjoy along with the episodes. So, yeah, isn't that fun? DJ who? DJ Rob. So, uh, what's fun about Patreon is that we're sort of off the public radar, right? So we can get away with some of this stuff. Uh, And we've also got a... nice little area to post things so rather than you know your your itunes feed or your spotify feed when you're over here we've got our uh, our own news feed so we can post up cool tidbits so you can listen along to the songs that we talk about as we go so just 
take a look at the post, I guess, either right before or right after this episode on Patreon, and you'll be able to look through our playlist. Fun. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it keep, is. keep your eyes open for those tidbits. I did also really like that he said tidbits. Yeah. Is that is that okay? Yeah, I just no, no, never he, heard I you like say it. that because we spent a long all. time talking about whether or not you had an Elvis penis phone. Is that also all right? You know, I never said the word penis. I phone. did. I said it several times. I think I also <laughs> might have said it once. So. It's anatomically correct. Yeah, Elvis had one. Yeah. But first, maybe in place of our plugs, we'd like to name some of the patrons responsible for this episode because it's ridiculous for us to plug things on a Patreon bonus special. You, you want to say some names, though, Olivia? Would that make you feel better? Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, over the series, we'll be shouting out all of the wonderful patrons who have helped to pay for this, uh, because uh, we love to say your names, and you deserve it. The first crew of folks, uh, you, you are essentially the first crew of folks who've stepped up to su- support this uh, fledgling enterprise. You're very important to us. We're actually recording this on brand new equipment that we were only able to acquire because of our patrons. And this is the first thing we're recording on this equipment. So I hope you enjoy the, the beautiful clarity of our voices. You earned it. All of the P's and the S's <laughs> will be... Less painful to listen to. <laughs> Do you have a comment, James? Nope. <laughs> Uh, but, I mean, seriously, uh, patron friends, you all, our first set of patrons, have set the tone. You've paved the way, uh, especially the folks that have been with us from the beginning. Uh, you know, if without, without you, people would have come to our Patreon page and been like, well, these losers, nobody's given them any money. But, you know, if, uh, like the first five people were taking a risk and then the next five people, we could have just quit doing this at any moment. But we've kept up and you've kept up with us and we are incredibly grateful. Let's name some of you. We're just going to do these in alphabetical order by the the name that you've given us. Uh, So we are going to get to everybody, but we're going to do like 11 per episode. Oh, okay. So so I'm not listing for just 11 days. Because there's three episodes and there's like 40-ish patrons. So we'll do 11 or 12. Proceed. Get in. Eat that (laughs) mic. Alex. Alfred Perales. Alicia Shaw. Alyssa Georgia. Isla Stout. Beverlox. Brian Jote. Chowati. Brian DeLuise. Katrash. Christina Doe. CJ. David Freeze. Drew. No. Gary Esser. That's enough. Eser. Gary Eser. <laughs> you know who you are. And Ghoulie Go Lightly. All right, let's close up the whatever that was, Olivia. Oh, I didn't even open plugs. Should I? Well, it's not really plug time. Just sing the Patreon theme again. But that's sing the it opening. like Sing it like we're done with Patreon. Patreon. Closing it up. Thank you. And we look forward to saying the rest of the names next time. Let's get started with a history of the devil and stringed instruments, shall we? There's a long history of supernatural beings tempting mortals with music. Pan, for example. See, this will perk you up, Olivia. You like that guy. Yep. (laughs) He played the flute. The devil was first associated with the violin in Europe and then the fiddle. The difference between a violin and a fiddle is not necessarily a difference. All violins are fiddles, but not all fiddles are violins. Any bowed string instrument is considered a fiddle. 
of which the violin is the most popular. Yeah, and there's like viola and cello and yeah, contrabass. All fiddles yeah. for some reason. We've decided that as a people. Because you fiddle them. <laughs> you fiddle a lot of things, but you don't necessarily call those things fiddles. Yeah, that's a good point, Rob. Str- Thank you, James. Stringed instruments were imported from Arabia during the Renaissance. The first violin was created by Italian craftsmen in the 16th century. Renaissance Orientalism, and to be honest, Orientalism across the centuries, attributed sensual and mysterious qualities to the East. And so the violin, coming from the East, uh, and the fiddle, which was its thing that it was, it was also a fiddle, fiddles or violins, was born out of these dark earthly forces. For a good familiar example of Orientalism in action, think of how sexy Jasmine is in Aladdin. What? That was a cartoon character. That's correct. But she did not. She wore MC Hammer pants and a crop top. But she wasn't even that hot until she put on Jafar's outfit. Yeah, that's true. That was the hotter outfit. Red is her color. Oh, 100. My students often point out that Ariel was arguably more naked, and that's when I remind them that her lower half was all fish. Naked fish. (laughs) Ariel! Yeah, you say it so fancy. It's which, like which part? Ariel. Ariel. That's James doing that, not me. I'm this guy next to you. James is across no, the No, you're t- the way you said it. What did it. I say? He said Ariel. No, he didn't say it like that. The violin surfaced at occasions for secular music, particularly taverns and festivals. It was easy to carry around, and the music it created encouraged people to <gasps> dance. D-A- you have a thing? I was going to sing the dance song. Nope. There's a dance song? Yeah, it's by Justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. We are from slightly different generations. Wait, that's an older song. It's from the early 2000s. Yeah, I was a... I was, no, it's not, really. It really is. Oh, shit. I was in college. Yeah, that's the prime time to hear that To listen song. to 13-year-olds' crappy music? Why was dancing... Involved with the devil. Why was that a thing that people thought? That's a bought? good question, That's James. That's literally a, a hymn. The violin surf. <laughs> yeah, what What was that? It's a, literally a hymn? Yeah. There- There's a hymn that says dancing is the devil? It's always like, dance, yes. dance, wherever he may be. You know, like the song. The devil, the devil is there back. and he'll get on your back. That's <laughs> <laughs> Is it to the tune of a shaker melody? Dance, Simple gifts? dance, wherever he may be. <laughs> I am the Lord of the dance, says he. And it's talking about God, but then it's got like the devil on his back and you got to dance to spin him off. Ooh. You don't know this song? Well, that's the Shakers. They loved to dance for de- for God. Oh, this was my favorite song in church. Like, yeah, but the but, but the but uh, your alt-right Christian believed the dance was of the devil. Not in my Methodist church. Oh. It's probably because they were bad at it. <laughs> that's what I imagine. <laughs> right, because dance will not incite lust if you are bad at it. That's that's a fact, right? Yeah, that's a that was that was a deleted scene from Footloose. Dance, <laughs> where John Lithgow said to what's his face, Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Bacon. Yeah, he was like, "You can dance if it's like this," and then he danced badly. Like, yeah. Wait, we you own the DVD? Movie. I own the D- I d- no, I only I only own the deleted scenes. <laughs> Is this funny? It doesn't matter. Our patrons love us no matter what. Uh, oh, okay. 
they at least appreciate our sense of humor, even when it goes slightly awry, as it did just then. Dance, going back to the 4th century, and John Chrysostom was considered sinful for the sensual and sexual pleasures it inspired. Tell that to the Methodists, Olivia. I will, I guess. In his, Like you're hanging around with them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes. They still come to mom's for dinner. Oh, okay. Well, let them know. I'll just peep in real fast. and Be like, have you heard how John Chrysostom feels about your devil dancing? Hey, Karen. In his series of homilies on Matthew, Chrysostom famously said, where dance is, there is... No God. The devil. Oh, Correct. Yeah. The, the devil. <laughs> Are we still guessing? It was the devil. He was speaking about Salome's dance before Herod. For what could be worse than this brutal fierceness? To ask a murder by way of a favor? A lawless murder? A murder in the midst of a banquet? A murder publicly and without shame? Since she went not unto him privately to speak of these things, but publicly, and with her mask thrown off, barefaced, and having got the devil to plead with her, in this guise she saith whatever she saith. Yea, and he it was that caused her at all to get credit by her dancing, and to catch Herod in the moment. For where dancing is, there is the evil one. For neither did God give us feet for this end, but that we may be walking orderly. Not that we may behave ourselves unseemly, not that we may jump like camels, for even they too are disagreeable when dancing, much more women, but that we may join the choirs of angels. For if the body is base, thus making itself unseemly, much more the soul. Like this is the dancing of the demons, like this the jesting of such are servants of the demons. Music encouraged dancing, dancing encouraged sex, and it was all a great big distraction from religion. Woo! So down with the whole hoot nanny. Woo! Although complaints against dance and music go back to the church fathers, they continue in a relatively steady line through John Lithgow. For example, Footloose? Yeah, we were just talking about him. You guys acted like you didn't know what I was saying. Yep. I didn't catch it. But not the actor. Can. Not the actor who was on Dexter for the only good season. But... <laughs> Ooh, hot take. <laughs> for example, violin virtuoso Niccolo Paganini, whose career bridged... Wait, Paganini? Niccolo Paganini. What a... Jesus. I don't, I don't speak Italian, James. You not like my what? No, I love it. Can you say Ariel again? Ariel. <laughs> Niccolo Paganini, whose career bridged the 18th into the 19th century, was accused of having been possessed by the devil. One story told of how his mother had traded his soul to the devil before his birth, so that. <laughs> that's sorry. That's not his fault. Right, he didn't do it. That's his mom. Although I feel like it would be pretty badass to be possessed by the devil. Like you gotta have like serious powers or something. <laughs> like, it would I'm be really saying. cool. I feel like that would be really cool. To be possessed by the devil? Yeah, and it wouldn't be your fault because and then God couldn't be mad at you. Because <laughs> it wasn't your fault, it was your mom. I think Alice Cooper said that. That God can't be mad at you for <laughs> the devil possessing you because your mom sold you to him? We'll get to that later. Okay. Uh so uh <laughs> Paganini Paganini Right? Okay. <laughs> Had an unusual physique with long, very flexible hands that allowed him to play. <laughs> no, this is true. I don't like the phrase long, flexible hands. Well, what do you want that to end with? <laughs> Tail? <laughs> he did, though. The he long, ha- flexible part that he I don't ha- like. But that's what he had. But when you imagine it. Well, don't then. Just don't. 
<laughs> it's, just, it's the truth. It's the history. That allowed him to play how the how well he did. And that lent credence to the theory that he was devil-possessed because he had the hands that Olivia doesn't want to picture. Yeah. Some f- fans claimed to see a shadowy devil helping him play. And one report told of lightning striking his bow during a performance. This is where Brianna would make that sound. Yeah, I was about to say. There were legends of violins made from the intestines of dead women so that their souls cried out when the instrument was played. Whoa, oh okay, God. that's like extra. Well, they yeah. used to, the strings are made traditionally with cat intestines, right? Right. So I guess that makes But if you sense. want to have a devil instrument, you need woman <laughs> you intestines. Woman. That makes sense. Uh, rumor circulated that Paganini's G-string had come oh. from the intestines of a woman he'd murdered. So that woman ate a G-string? She is a G-string. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So in that case... Oh, okay. That's fine. Cool. Yeah, neat. The story of Robert Johnson updates the tradition of Christian opposition to secular music and the devil's legendary connection to stringed instruments and brings them into the 20th century, specifically in America, just in time for the rise of rock and roll. Johnson was a blues man, but the blues was one of the major streams, along with jazz, country, and folk that contributed to the big beat, or rock sound, which is why Johnny Cash, Savannah, could be both. Okay. I'm just, uh, country music is, I don't know. You came from a Jimmy Buffett household, what do you know? I don't know that your opinions on music are valid. I'm not saying I'm a fan of Jimmy Buffett, (laughs) I'm just saying I was... Forced to listen to it. <laughs> I also listened to David Bowie. David Bowie. I didn't know he. Oh got well, that'll even it out. Roll. Yeah, that'll that'll straighten out your Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because David Bowie was the white dude. Anyway, many of rocks. Oh, we got to move on to another topic. Hit me, because that's all I got for the guitar. Oh, Done. well, I'm going to come back to Robert Johnson and all these things, but first we have to go on a little tangent which is the evangelicals and how much oh. they hated rock and roll. Mm, okay. So like the devil makes you play the guitar, right? And mm-hmm. rock music and music generally through history is evil. Yeah. But because it makes you dance. Yeah. But now rock music exists to make teenage girls scream and teenage girls and teenage boys dance. And then they have sex. Right, sometimes with Elvis. Or yeah. or they make phone calls on him. Oh. Yeah, I, de- I have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, the next topic then is evangelicals versus the big beat. Many of Rock's pioneers actually emerged from a single sect of Christianity, the relatively new Pentecostal or holiness church whose members are often called evangelicals. This is what we were talking about around the beginning. Uh, Elvis, Jerry Lee Lewis, oh. Johnny Cash, B.B. King, and James Brown all had ties to the movement. Are you a Jerry Lee Lewis fan? Yeah. We had the Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. yeah. Great Balls of Fire. I'm sorry. I think he murdered his wife. There's some... Oh, he was, like, kind of batshit, right? Yeah. This is Patreon, so well, we can plug other piano. podcasts that are too famous for to ever care that we did it. So Disgraceland really has a cool oh, really? episode about... Yeah, that I recommend to our listeners. Oh, on James Brown? No, Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lee Lewis, yeah. the piano player. Yeah. James Brown's going to come up, though. You just wait, Brandon. Oh, yeah. He's coming for you. He's going to get on up. <laughs> <laughs> Evangelical churches featured an energetic worship style accompanied by powerful music, namely gospel. They emphasized the born-again experience, the workings of God in daily life, the constant threat of the devil, the importance of attending church on Sundays, and 
our favorite thing, biblical literalism. How'd you know? That we all love biblical literalism? I can just tell. Yep. Gospel singers who performed in the Pentecostal churches were an important inspiration for rock musicians. Elvis grew up listening to gospel quartets, and they even sung backup for him at concerts. Isn't that a fun fact? Yeah. He would inv- Even after he started to become rock music famous, he would invite gospel singers to join him on stage. Well, the guys can sing. They can. Yeah. Some gospel. <laughs> And he, he did that through the 1950s. He would sneak out of his white Pentecostal church and go over to the neighboring black Pentecostal church, uh, sneaking around the back before services ended to avoid suspicion in the segregated Jim Crow South. So he's basically going back and forth. Church starts at the white church, and he sneaks out and goes to the black church, hangs out until he thinks it's time to go back to the white church because it's about to end, and they'll notice he's missing, and he goes back in. That's really cool. Yeah, I guess he was pretty good at opening and closing the door quietly. Well, were the Pentecostals one of those groups that would kind of like feel the Holy Spirit and close their eyes and like let it move them? Yeah, and then sing and dance and writhe and things. So they were dancers themselves. Yes, they're okay with dance, right? Ish, kind of. Not, not, not hug dancing. Just TP, not PP. (laughs) Right, right. That's what I always heard growing up. Through your Elvis phone, I'm guessing. Yep. (laughs) People would call you on the Elvis phone. TP, James. TP. Where were we? Sister Rosetta Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp was considered the godmother of rock and roll. Tharp was one of the first pop gospel stars playing in nightclubs and concert halls accompanied by a big band. And Tharp's uh, won a, a track that we've listed on our YouTube thing playlist. That's it. I'm so bad. You old person. Understanding the things I create and what they're called. Um, those insta those instapics that you guys are always posting for me. I just love those. She played the you the tubes the tubes full of you. I, I made some tubes. She played YouTube. <laughs> She played the tubes. Wait, did she? No. She played the electric guitar. (laughs) Okay. Which introduced electric distortion that would go on to shape British rock, as well as rhythm and blues singers. You'll hear that as you listen to Rosetta Tharp. So when was she around? She was around uh, the godmother of rock and roll in the 1940s, 1950s. Wow. So she preceded Elvis, and she also was uh, famous around the same time Elvis was getting his uh, sea legs. Fun fact. I didn't know Elvis lived on a boat. He did not. <laughs> he said he had his sea legs. His rock legs. Well, that's not the same thing, Rob. <laughs> his sea, the, ro- the sea of rock of sea, sea of rock. He was, oh, yeah. James Brown. Brandon, yep. get excited about James Brown. Hey! <laughs> James out excited me. Nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. James Brown. Hey! Grew up living with his aunt, who ran a brothel in Augusta, Georgia. He attended services at the United House of Prayer for All People, led by the charismatic Bishop Daddy Grace. Bishop Daddy Grace! Yeah. I like that name. Grace was an African immigrant from Cape Verde who left his job as a railway cook to start his church. He was a faith healer and claimed to have raised the dead. He taught that God only used one man at a time in promoting his purposes on earth. Moses. Oh, Olivia's already having trouble. Moses, Noah, Jesus, 
and of course him bishop daddy grace <laughs> he was the latest in the chain he was one of the first celebrity preachers and conducted mass baptisms with a fire hose and ran his services to the accompaniment of one or several bands wow yeah sounds efficient like at the same time he was doing this isn't a fire hose incredibly hard pressure yeah maybe he shot it over people's heads though that's what i imagine like not right at you depends on how much of the holy spirit you needed i suppose oh my god (laughs) he needs to waterboard you in oh no he was in short an early inspiration for the stage persona that james brown would go on to create right strutting around the stage doing these great big fire hose performance acts and there was music and, and dance in, in his style of preaching. Would so, you do like these like the shuffles? You know what I'm talking about that James Brown does with his feet? I can't speak to specifically what Bishop Daddy Grace okay, would or would not do. Uh, but he needless to say he was this charismatic charismatic performer and he had the band behind him and, and so this is essentially a, he's like a rock musician without the rock music. And with Jesus and fire hoses. Uh, and so James Brown is in this way a lot like Elvis and Sister Rosetta Tharp. Elvis was inspired by Sister Rosetta Tharp and the gospel quartets. James Brown is insi- inspired by Bishop Daddy Grace. So what we're seeing is the Pentecostal church is more or less feeding rock music. It's creating it. And it's about to hate it, the thing that it created. So while it was inspiring rock musicians with its music and in the preacher's swagger, it was also condemning the movement it had given rise to. Critics had attacked the Pentecostals for their covertly sexual religious fervor. So let's just take a moment for this, actually. American Protestantism, classically, like 19th century, is people quietly sitting in pews thinking about how nice God is and standing up occasionally to whisper, sing, and then sit down in their very nicest 19th century hose. Leader hose. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Clothes? Clothes. (laughs) Hosen. Anyway. Yeah, so that's what American Christianity looked like. And then the Pentecostals come along, and they're like running all over the place and hosing people down and swaggering and singing and clapping and yelling. And people are like, no, God and Jesus are to be worshipped quietly in your finest hosen. That's true. But I learned this from you, Rob. Right. What? Huh? What did you learn from me? No, I'm just saying, like, Sorry, I said your name, but like the rock and roll people, they learn what right. they got from the Pentecostals. Well, we're getting to them because the Pentecostals are getting BS from the Protestants, but then the Pentecostals oh. are going to give it to the rockers, who are just a more sexualized, more performative version of them without the Jesus. So uh, let's take a look at some famous examples. The Pentecostals began by attacking Elvis and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis for their overt displays of sexuality on stage. Rock was a kind of distorted mirror for the evangelicals, because it looked a lot like them, but sexier, even though they were kind of sexy compared to the quiet people in the pews. You got me? Uh, They worried about a kind of gender dysmorphia. Boys had started to mimic the musicians with more attention on their clothes and hair. Not very manly, metrosexual 1950s guy. They were becoming, in other words, more girlish. For their part, girls started to wear pants <gasps> oh my God. Wow. and smoke cigarettes. No! Oh! That is really bad for you. And speak in vulgarities as part of the rock culture. 
hard swearing smoking girls. Oh shit! Hell yeah! Yeah, right. Boy, wait do they get a load of you guys? These <laughs> 1950s Pentecostals with your your tats and all. Let's knock them dead. <laughs> you might. They might just keel over. I'll destroy them on social media. Ray Char- Ray Charles made things even worse by directly translating gospel music into secular songs. I've Got a Woman drew heavily on the Southern Tone song, It Must Be Jesus. And you'll be able to listen to both of these on our channel playlist, YouTubes, our tubes. Charles was blasted from the pulpit, accused of bastardizing God's work, but he didn't care. Aretha Franklin, who had grown up singing gospel at the New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit, where her father was a pastor carried much of the style she'd grown up with into her secular music career. So you can see there's this tradition of people with strong religious backgrounds becoming rock musicians or using actual church music, in Ray Charles' case, to create rock music. Jerry Lee Lewis, who we've been talking about, may have murdered his wife, famous for singing Great Balls of Fire, had a cousin who was a minister, and Jerry Lee Lewis... Wife murder. You've got to listen to this Disgraceland episode to appreciate how bizarre this is. Considered giving up rock music for the ministry. Little Richard, famous for songs like Tutti Frutti, with its strong homoerotic undertones. Yes, Tutti Frutti is about gay sex. And Long Tall Sally, an ode to adultery. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't discriminate. (laughs) Gave up secular music while on tour in Australia in 1957. Then went back to it then gave it up again in the 1970s. There's a story of Little Richard uh, like tossing all his rings into like the sea <laughs> in Australia. Bad. Yeah, like his drummer or something, or I don't know, his bass guitarist was like, Little Richard, are you really giving up rock music? And he was like, yes, I am tired of all this. And then he goes out and he throws all his rings into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way to get rid of them. That'll show them, yeah. That'll, that'll do it. Like, I don't know why he didn't just donate them to... Like an orphanage. It's not, not as metal. Effect. It's not as rock and roll. Yeah, just throw them into the sea. Yeah, yeah, throw them into the coral. Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash both recorded gospel albums. Fun fact. Elvis also considered himself a Christian throughout his entire career and was a lifelong spiritual seeker. You're going to love this. He read books by Timothy Leary. Oh. He tried LSD. Mm. He studied the work of the Indian gurus and Helena Petrovna. Blavatsky. Yes, Elvis read Blavatsky. Probably not a lot of her, but some. He read some. (laughs) A couple of letters. No, he did not read the whole secret doctrine, but he he read a couple of pages of something that she wrote. There was a deep and complex interconnection, is what I'm trying to say, between evangelical Christianity and rock music. And those ties ran so deep, they would eventually morph into the seemingly paradoxical genre of, lest we forget, Christian rock. That's where all this is ultimately going. I, in my car, is for some reason set to, whenever I unplug my phone, to a gospel rock station now. Because it's like changed from a normal rock station to gospel rock. And I listen to it sometimes and I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I always think because of when I grow up of Jars of Clay. Do you guys know who Jars of Clay are? Yes. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so you're right, though, Savannah. I, I, we're not going to get into this in depth, but Christian rock does suck a little. And 
part of the reason for that is not so much the Jesus, because the music is not necessarily bad. The yeah. problem with the music is that it's not new. Christian rock is always a step behind. Mm. It's always mimicking a style yeah. that's already been invented and then just putting Jesus into it. So, so. they do the opposite of what the rockers from the Pentecostal church did. Right. They, they took inspiration, created something new. The Christian rockers take something new and make it something old with Jesus again. Which takes time. <laughs> it's all very time-consuming. The whole process, yeah, takes about 30 years. Uh, <laughs> so Billy Graham, America's evangelist, spent much of the 50s and 60s speaking out against rock, leveling attacks more or less directly, specifically, at Elvis Presley. The American people are now plagued with the particular phenomenon of a young man whose song emphasizes the sensual, having the highest record sales and television audience in the country. But by the time Billy Graham appeared at the 1972 Jesus Music Festival in Dallas, better known as, you're going to love this, Godstock. Shut up. Let me do that again. Please stop. Godstock. Graham had grown his hair slightly longer and embraced the new Jesus hippie rockers as the future of evangelism. Now, Graham lost his shit over the Beatles' long hair in the 60s. So the fact that he's showing up in 1972 with longer hair shows the degree to which he was willing to embrace rock music in order to win converts to evangelical Christianity. When Elvis died in 1977, Graham actually said he believed he would see Elvis in heaven. This change of events isn't so strange, though, if we think how closely aligned evangelism always was with rock music, separated by a thin, if heavily policed, red line. Evangelical Christians, like Niccolo Paganini and Robert Johnson's critics, conjured a devil in fear of the passions raised by the artist in performance, both on stage and in the audience. Another story of how Robert Johnson got to be one of the greatest blues musicians of all time has him visiting a graveyard where he met with a slightly less supernatural counterpart than the devil, the blues musician Ike Zimmerman. Johnson had gone back to his birthplace in Hazelhurst to try and find his birth father and came across the guitar player Zimmerman. Zimmerman apparently practiced in graveyards because they were quiet with no neighbors to complain. Johnson learned from Zimmerman sitting atop tombstones and playing into the night. In the long history of satanic legend, including the satanic panic of the 1990s, graveyards and cemeteries are often cited as places to raise or meet the devil. And so it seems that the fact that Johnson learned to play in a graveyard was translated over time into meeting the devil at the crossroads. Johnson had a son with a woman whose family drove him off and refused to let him see his child because he played the devil's music. Johnson died when he was given a bottle of whiskey with a broken seal at a dance. A friend warned him not to drink it, knocking it out of his hand, but enough remained in the bottle for him to drink. Johnson had been fooling around with a married woman at the dance, and her husband had apparently poisoned him. Twice failed in his effort to have a normal family life and condemned for the music he played, it seems Johnson resolved to play the devil everyone thought he was. He even worked the legend into his music, most famously in Me and the Devil Blues. He sang, Baby, I don't care where you bury my body when I'm dead and gone. You may bury my body down by the highway side so my old evil spirit can get a Greyhound bus and ride. It's very poetic. Yeah, he was, uh, so he endorsed these stories of him 
being kind of owing his talent to the devil? Ultimately, yeah, it became a sort of brand, a calling card for him, in large part because there was no place in a Christian world for Robert Johnson as a musician. What he really loved was playing music and being a musician and all that that entailed. But in order to do that, he had to accept that society wouldn't allow him in as a God-fearing, God-loving Christian who also happened to play music. And so while he might have been that, he played the role of the devil, which is how everyone chose to see him in the first place. He sort of occupied that spot, which is something we're going to see a lot of in our next installment with characters like Jimmy Page and Ozzy Osbourne and Alice Cooper. Do you think that, like... It has to do with the talent level of these guys. The like, better you are, the more you're associated with the devil. Right? It's like it's like kind of, just kind of like they can't understand, you know, how you should get that good. I don't think we're inclined to hate on people who are mediocre or bad at things. Right? Yeah. Unless they're famous, like Unless Bruno Mars. Born, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hot take. I don't know. You think any of our patrons like Bruno no. Mars? All right. On Spotify, Billie Eilish is what most of our listeners... It says what they, our listeners listen to. I'm also listening All right. to Billie Eilish. Yeah. Also, Tool. Tool's awesome, and their music just got put on Spotify, <laughs> yeah. so that's why everybody's listening to them. They, oh, they, really? they kept their music off of iTunes, Spotify, everything for years and years and years. Well, that explains. Our listeners are way into Billie Eilish and Tool. <laughs> I thought that was bizarre that it was Tool. It felt like a blast from the past. But <laughs> Tool's great. They're touring again. They came out with a new album. Good idea they got on the Spotify. Yeah. Mm. They need the money. Well, don't we all? We got this new equipment, James. <laughs> so we're glad you're giving us money. Uh, let's talk about our sources to close out today. We have Addison Nugent's uh, Why the Devil Plays the Fiddle, uh, Devil at the Crossroads on the Netflix documentary series Remastered, and The Devil's Music by Randall J. Stevens. All right, that, uh, that'll do it for our first installment on our Patreon bonus series. Olivia, bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. All right, joining us as our voices today, we had Hunter Sheeler playing the role of Billy Graham, and doing the voice of Chris Ostom, uh, we had a trio, Brooke Mayoral, uh, Dan Rosendale, and Brie Litterall. Cool. Joining me around the table, we have Olivia Litterall, our Grandmaster. Goodbye, everyone. May the devil be with you. Or, or not. Or not with or you. Or just music. She'd rather it. Yeah, just enjoy the Let music. Let the devil's music be with you. On the tubes. Uh, Savannah Verrett, our sister of the 84th degree. Goodbye, everybody. And I feel like, you know, I'm going to say it, even though it's going to be really cringy, but tomorrow's Batman Day, so I have to say, you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> I do think that's appropriate. This is the only time we'll be talking about dancing at length, or John Lithgow. James, Kaplangis, captain of the table. Yeah, it's been a nice ride, you know? <laughs> Being here on the podcast, first Patreon special on the music. Brandon Walls, our <laughs> silver tongue shadow. Everyone rock on and thank you all for your support. 
All right, my name is Rob C. Thompson, and I want to echo Brandon's thank you, thank you, thank you. We are so delighted to be able to produce Patreon episodes, and we are inspired to do it because of your generosity. Catch us next time when we bring you Alistair Crowley Rocks. Alistair Crowley Rocks. Crowley Rocks. <laughs>